0: All right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Episode 91. Mm-hmm. To, and this is episode 91 of Science in Between. And this is Scott and that is and this,
1: Ollie. This is Ollie. And we're so happy you're here. So happy. Uh, yeah. And how are we going to frame this episode? We have
0: we have sort of a, uh, a it's topic. Like a, right. It's a conceptual uh, episode.
1: Right. <laughs> it is. It is a bunch of stuff we just ju- dumped into a bucket that we're just like going to kind of. Yeah talk it, about it's like, gonna be
0: like stone soup you know that right, well, we, stone start with soup. Stone. we start with a stone yeah. and the stone we're gonna start with is has to do with the challenges that certain um folks have with these kinds of pedagogies that we typically talk about so this idea of when we're doing phenomenon driven explanatory kinds of science teaching, sure. where the kids are explaining things um and usually complex things that that don't have uh, simple answers to them. Um, who who finds that the most challenging, and why do we think that is, and what evidence out, is out there that um, that 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 there's actually some psychology basis for some psychological basis for for why some people are going to struggle with this pedagogy more than others?
1: Right, and I think it ties nicely into our our last episode, which is all around curiosity, yep. and the the one before that, which was about ambiguity and uncertainty, you know, and I think all that t- stuff ties together. So, you know, recognizing that some of the students that we're working with and all on some of the teachers that we're working with yep. are gonna struggle with this just by by the nature of who they who they are and how they see the world. Yeah. You know, I think that's and I and I think that's maybe informed by some of the, you know, things we've been reading and some of the um stuff we've been listening to.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I we can start with um uh, you know, there. I think I mentioned. Did I talk about the the Feynman quote the other day when we were? I you, did. That, uh, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. So this, uh, this, there. I I started out with this um this quote that came from Richard Feynman. Um, that he said, you know, the thing that's unusual about good scientists is, is that while they're doing whatever they're doing, they're not so sure of themselves as others usually are. They can live with steady doubt. And so I think this idea of um, steady doubt is is really um, interesting It's in the sense that, that that's re- what we're really asking people to do in this kind of science teaching, both the teachers and the students, is to... Loosen their grip on the idea that everything is right answers, and really focus on the process of explanation um and not worry so much about and and that's where the steady doubt comes in to yep. to not to be constantly questioning it, it, what's right in this but also what's wrong in this what what needs to be improved what because That's the thing about science that is fundamental to it is that it's always focused on improving the explanations that we already have. We're not saying this is the answer. You know, we talk about the tentativeness of science, but really that's what this is, is saying like, yeah, we've got answers that work for right now. But that doesn't mean we think we have the answers and, and, you know, this cycles back into so many things into the way COVID was dealt with in terms of the science and all that. So, so I think it's a really interesting touch point, especially when we think about who's the most resistant to this kind of thinking.
1: Well, it's, it, it fosters, I mean, somehow we have to foster a curiosity in our class, but more than that, I think what we have to do is suspend some of that, like, that certainty, some of the the closure that students want to have, or some people want to have and say, okay, this is known, this is the known X, right? And that, well, let's put a period at that. Let's move on. We have a fact we can, and you know, while we do have facts in in, in science. We also have lots of things that we are still developing and that's the, that's the good stuff. That's the good right. stuff that we want to continue to and that's where we are going to develop a better understanding of of how science works and 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 portray that to our students in, in a little bit better way. I mean I I guess you know for me the 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 intersections for this come from you know I was ta- talking about um I probably this has come up in a couple episodes um the against the rules podcast with mm. Michael Lewis. Yeah. And so the the latest episode uh was about mansplaining, which you know, mm. it's it's funny cuz here you you and I are, you know, two, you know, older white men, you know, talking about stuff, so we're yeah. we may be mansplaining, but what the um what the episode's really about is people who don't have a whole lot of knowledge about stuff and then talking about it as if they know the stuff right mm-hmm. yep. and that is you know the episode starts and i want to, this isn't going to be a review of the michael lewis podcast but i am going to talk a little you know interject a couple parts of it because the 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 episode starts with the story of a of a writer who is gets invited to a to a a party and she's uh she had written a book about edward muybridge who is the uh you know famous photographer he's uh, you know he was sort of like the father of motion pictures and because he was able to capture motion through you know a bunch of photographs and then tie those together into a motion picture and so he's credited as being that guy and so um she's at this dinner party and she meets a guy in they're talking about this and, and he's like, oh, you should read this book. And here he's telling her about her own book as if, you know, she should, you know, she really doesn't know what she's talking about. He knows what she's talking, he knows better. And we're going to have those people who come into our classroom, those students who come into our classroom or even teachers who come into the classroom who may come from that position of thinking they know Right, and what, what really not knowing mm-hmm. and and then putting up resistance to asking the questions or even engaging in the process because they're just like, "Hold on, dude, I already know this stuff why would I and i you know I had that sometimes with you know students i've I've worked with, and I'm sure you have too and and some of it may be gendered, certainly, um and some of it may not be um. I think there's, you know, not to bring in the Dunning Kruger thing, but I think that, yeah. you know, there's been, that's been studied as well is mm-hmm. that, you know, there's, you know, people overinflate their knowledge of things. And it's typically the people who have, who have the, the least knowledge or the yeah. least, you know, it's not the very
0: beginners. Them. It's the novices right. that are right. the, that are, it has been described as stupidity mountain, right? Right. Which is, which is like right after your, you're just when you're first beginning something you know that you don't know, but then in that initial phase of starting to know something, you weigh, your confidence grows faster than your than your competence right That's the way they describe it. Your confidence yeah. grows faster than your competence, and one of the things that actually describes expertise is the flip flopping of that right. Where your competence actually starts to exceed your confidence, because that that's the sign of of a true expert, somebody who's questioning their own um, correctness about things, right? That that ability to say I'm I'm not sure about it. you know it goes again, it goes back to what we were just talking about with Feynman. So this yeah, the Dunning Kruger effect of of the relationship between competence and confidence is fascinating stuff. And, and mansplaining certainly is one gendered example of that, right. Where um, men are men seem to be particularly uh, good at being overconfident about their points of view. Not that, yeah, we, and that, not, well, not that we would ever. Do
1: that. No, uh, I well, I think I, I have a pretty good understanding of the limits of my understanding, you know? And so I, I don't, I try not to wade into places where I have no, business. I have no business being in. Right. Right. And I know that there are much smarter people than me, you know, and, and I, I surround myself with lots of really smart, talented women who, you know, are, continue to, to teach me things. And that's mm-hmm. the, I think it's humbling and it's also awesome. And, right. you know, um, and you've had the chance to meet some of those folks. So that's, I have. that's been it. And
0: I, and I think, but I think, uh, as much as those people are important, I think the way that you orient yourself in the world is what really matters. And probably you could look at the reason that, um, you have these, you know, this group of exceptional women. And I, I would certainly say that my historically, I have had that as well. Right. My, absolutely. Any of my closest friends have been women throughout my life. Um, but I think part, I, I don't want to, you know, talk about how great we are, but I do but I do want to say that that (laughs) but we are pretty great. I mean we are pretty great in (laughs) fairness. But I think part of it may be that the orientation to the world of not trying to mansplain all the time is part of the reason that we have female friends instead of them not wanting to be around us because we're so freaking annoying because we're always mansplaining to them. So um so I think they probably go hand in hand, right? That that the orientation to the world that um you 're always a little less confident of your of your abilities and your understanding of things is actually what um you know opens you to the opportunities for those sorts of people to to you know want want to care about you and want to uh, be around you so um but yeah i think this this uh is a really it 's a really important thing um for a lot of reasons but it, but in the in the context of what we're interested in the the idea of like there are two groups that I think this most impacts in, in this, in these practices. So one of them is especially high school teachers um, because high school teachers tend to be very confident in their content content. Right. Yep. Um, And therefore, and want to explain it to other people and often think they're good at explaining it to other people, yeah. which sometimes as, they may be. Um, in, as in some as respects if, as but. if the explanation is one
1: itself, like the, you know, the, the the key of the realm. Right. It's the thing right. that's going to, you know, if they can explain it really well, that's the the acumen of a really good teacher is like, you know, and it also demonstrates to to the students how smart they are. Yep. You know, I, I worked with I don't know if I've said this before, but I work. Yeah, that's with the, the other
0: that's the other group of people that we have to talk about. Yeah. the right. Students who are used to being right answer person.
1: Yeah. Well, I had a, I worked with a teacher who would always put like this really really hard test question on a, on tests. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, and I'm like, Yeah, I think did you, did you teach this? Did you teach this? This is a really hard question. And she's like, I always want the students to know that I'm smarter than them. And I'm like, wow, you and I have fundamentally different views of how assessment yeah. works. You know, right. it is this has not like if I get if my, all my students, if I have a fair exam and all my students do really well, then I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm awesome. Crushed, you know, it. they yeah. crushed it, they learned. But if they, you know, I have n- never put questions on tests where I'm like, yeah, this is just to prove that I'm smarter than them. You yeah, know? that's just not how I roll
0: no no i think it and it's a but it but it goes back to this orientation to the world right i mean i think Um, and I think the important thing is that, you know, we talk about, oh, we want kids to explain phenomena and this isn't about right answers and blah, blah, blah. Like it's, it seems like we're only talking about science, but in reality, we're not talking about science only. I mean, I think that's part of the point of this. I mean, some of the work that we're, that we were talking about before the show is Adam Grant's work about think again, and the importance of, of being able to rethink your own ideas. And that that doesn't is not only in science that happens everywhere yeah. like you you have to um be able to be willing to rethink your ideas and and defining that as a core characteristic of intelligence because I think you know going back to some of the other saws that we've had in the past on you know this idea of like how do we find it, define intelligence right currently we lean very heavily uh on an intelligence that's based on being able to remember and recall quickly the correct answer to things right so trivia night sort of definitions yeah. of intelligence and and then that seeps across then to um to convince people that they are therefore intelligent which leads them to an overconfidence problem where they where they then become a mansplainer right so the, these things are all interconnected the way we define intelligence is actually a pernicious problem in this in this system because it gives it reinforces the people who have this particular kind of overconfidence
1: yeah you know i find uh, that i i can't you know go anywhere without hearing adam grant's name and i don't know how familiar the audience is with him but if you haven't heard if you haven't encountered adam grant in anywhere you need to because i think that um i think he comes at it with that same sort of you know i mean here's a really smart guy i mean he is just brilliant like he's a um he's a uh, i guess a Organizational psychologist is that how you would describe him?
0: Yeah, I think. And so. he
1: works at for UPenn, you know, yeah. University of Pennsylvania, and uh, and the guy's just fascinating. But if you listen to his podcast, which I just started to probably a few months ago, like his position, like you go, this is somebody who's really curious. But then he'll drop in like this, this stuff that he knows, and you're like, mm-hmm. wow, he's really brilliant too. Mm-hmm. And then he's constantly you know, like highlighting the work of the people he works with or the people Mm -hmm. he's read or the friends of his. And it's just like, oh, a friend of mine did this, or this is a, you know, colleague of mine who studied this. And I just think that that positionality to, you know, his own expertise, Mm -hmm. I think is, you know, the model, right? I mean, it's the model of like, here's a really smart you know, accomplished guy in terms of having all of these books and all of this research to back him up. And he's working at like an elite institution and he's in, he's just like, he's TED talk guy and like, like he's everywhere. Like I follow him on social media, all the socials. And, you know, I'm constantly sharing that stuff with friends. But the the other part about it is that like, he just comes off as being somebody who's humble and curious. It's the competence and confidence, right? And, yeah. And,
0: and that's, you know, if, if you write a book about being open to changing your mind, then, then, yeah, you, you better, better be ready. You, you <laughs> better be, you know, walking the walk too. Right. right. I mean, Absolutely. so I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah. I mean, he, he, um, he talks about, uh, he, he talks about this, these three roles. Like this is another thing we were talking about, um, yeah. which was that, that there are three, when you're in a difficult conversation, there are three very traditional ways to respond to that so that they're the preacher, the prosecutor, and the politician. so the preacher is you're trying to convert somebody to your point of view. the politician or the um, prosecutor is you're trying to disassemble the case of the other person right you're trying to to break their case down and 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 destroy it and then the politician is the person who only wants to talk to people who have the same view as them. So they don't want to talk to, to opposing viewpoints. And so these three are the sort of patterns of talk that typically exist for people in unproductive conversations where they're not going to change their mind and they're not going to rethink their ideas and not make them better. Um, and and he contrasts that, or it is contrasted because I think this was a study by not him, but somebody else um, with the scientist, which of course we love because that's what we want, right? But it, right. But it does get at this idea of like, well, ideas are better if they're tested against other ideas, right? And if all they're tested against is the ideas that agree with them, they can't get more robust. They they just get weaker and more inbred, right? So, um so I think that's a really, you know, interesting thing about when we talk about how these ideas develop in classrooms. Like the ideas that kids have will be stronger if they have to get pushed against by other kids ideas. But if the only ideas in the classroom that matter are the teachers, it it ends up that those ideas become very weak, that they're not useful to kids and they, and they don't remember them because they're just like nothingness. Right. So this, because they haven't been tested against anything, they're not pushed. They're not asked to really understand them and see why and how they work. So, um, so yeah, I, th- I found that really interesting that that the three versus one sort of yeah. um, way of defining this this and they call you know that and he, again
1: and he labels that that person a scientist right or the yeah. the, the the scientist right um, and I th- I think all of it comes back to the questioning right I mean, all of it comes out you know based on the kinds of questions we ask right. and the types of how we frame that and and I I think that's I mean. One of the things I think about when we talk about stuff like this is how, you know, I'm not like I was never when I was when I taught science, I never really was a big history of science guy.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: I think there's something to be said for teaching some of that in our classroom, or at least, you know, using that as a model for students, not just to learn about like, oh, here, let's let's, you know, march down memory lane of the history right. of science, but to p- talk about like science as as a conversation, as a, you know, as a discussion with sometimes really opposing viewpoints Mm -hmm. with, you know, uh, or opposing understandings of the world based on the evidence they have. And so I think about like, you know, the wave and particle discussion that, you know, like Newton and Huygens and all those guys engaged with, right. And Mm -hmm. maybe I'm missing up my history there, but I think I might, might be close, you know,
0: So Sounds I'm, like you know mind. more than not, me so I'm going to just be- No, no, but
1: I'm talking about like, you know, like, you know, w- the, just the just the the conversations that were happening around like most of these things when they were, you know, you know, even Galileo with like, Hey, you know, the earth isn't the center, you know? And, yeah. and, but I mean, those were pretty revolutionary things that, you know, he was asking the right question and they created some, you know, discourse. And sometimes it meant that he was excommunicated from the church, right. but, you know, but it also means that like it, we have to demonstrate that to students that this is a, you know, a, you know, centuries of this stuff, centuries of and that we're not, we're not the end point. We're still in it. We're still right. in the thick of it. Right.
0: Yeah. And we always that, will be. I mean, I think that's, right. the, that's the thing, right. Is that this isn't the end of history. We're not in the end of history right now. We're just at a place that we happen to be right. And that, that idea. Yeah. I mean, I think it is interesting to think about that um, sort of historical perspective on science and how those ideas have changed Um because it is. So science is always happening at the edge of our yeah. understanding, right? It's mm-hmm. not like no, no physicist is doing projectile motion problems. Like no, no physicist, because that's not interesting because that's not where the discovery lies, right? That's not, but that's not where the fun. unknown space it's is. Fun, it's super fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's I'm going like, to do
1: some this afternoon. Just for funsies, It's <laughs> like
0: Sudoku for nerds
1: that are even nerdier. <laughs>
0: But right, yeah, give me one right. Is, give me one right now, Scott. Yeah. Come on. Like, give me one right. Okay. <laughs> There's a cannon. A cannon. On the, <laughs> it's on the top of a 100 meters No, no, off. it's in a pit. It's in a pit oh it's in a pit okay it's
1: all right pit. let me write this down and you're and you're trying to
0: hit a target that's ooh 400 kilometers away <laughs> yes it's on a train that's mer- moving orthogonally to the to the cannon ooh. i know it's well, i exciting. know
1: it is let's get after it yeah how far away does it start oh, <laughs> yeah
0: what's the what what angle does the cannon have to be at if the projectile travels it yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. For <laughs> yeah, we will. The people wanted the, want to the do that answer to the question. Yeah, <laughs> yes. uh, it, That'll be, but only the odds. That yes. was that an odd or an even? That we. Just I'm pretty did?
1: sure that was an even. Yeah. Uh, so that, so, we, so,
0: that uh, so that answers won't be in the back of the book. Sorry it won't be that. in the show notes. Sorry, friends. Yeah, sorry. Um. Yeah, but I, you know, going back to this, uh, you know, fundamental piece. An- another thing that Adam Grant talks about that we've talked about in various versions is this. You know, in good productive conversations, um, where you're trying to, you know, figure, figure something out or, or find a, you know, find a a solution or, or agreement about something, um, that you want to increase the ratio of questions to statements. Right. And this is, you know, that's fundamentally how we talk about science teaching all the time. Like that is a, that is a huge shift. In fact, when I was doing professional development, um, with, in collaboration with scientists, um, before we met with the teachers, one of the things I always told them when they were talking with teachers is they were not allowed to make declarative statements. They could only ask questions. And um, I think that that was helpful to them to to have that very simplistic framing because then when they came up, they couldn't just start explaining things to people. They had to say like, okay, what kind of question can I ask this person? But I think that's a really simple heuristic for for improving your science instruction is to increase the ratio of questions to, um, to statements. Now, obviously there's differences in quality of questions too. And that's a, right. That's something we've talked about as well. But, but even if you're moving in that direction, if you're already spending most of your day as a science teacher, making declarative statements, then you're already in a, in, in a not very productive space in terms of being a science teacher, right? Cause that's not going to really help your students learn science um, to just listen to your declarative statements all day, every day.
1: I think we've you've talked about this as the explanatory quotient before it's yes, not that. The, and so right. I have to say that as I as we we're talking about this I was like, oh, I'm going to google explanatory quotient. <laughs> and what it already up, exists? Mm-hmm. No, what came up? Episode eight of science in between. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so there you go. Look at that. Right.
0: So, so that means I have that IP now it's out you there do. in the world. It, and it is. No, if anybody else tries to use explanatory quotient in some Ted talk of theirs, Adam Grant, I'm looking at you. Don't you do it. No.
1: If he's out there listening, I'm then, coming
0: for you, Adam Grant. If uh, you, if you, if you, <laughs>
1: Well I, I think this what what I think is what's what's nice is that I, it connects to another I don't want to go back to Michael Lewis but uh, the one part of the Michael Lewis um podcast that I think is relevant here is it comes back to gender and it comes yeah. back to the willingness to um suspend doubt or to be curious. Mm-hmm. And so what what this was a study that was referenced and what what happened was they gave the scientists gave tests uh, to to male students and female students and found that female students left questions blank more regularly than male students did male students just would take a guess and so um what he did the next time that he did this test was he said you can't leave anything blank you gotta you gotta take a take a so everybody answered the questions and he found that um the Percentage of people that got the questions right or wrong were the same. Like the mm. the male population didn't perform any better than the female population, and the and so they were just more willing to take the stab and just be like, ah, I'm gonna. This is why it's working. But why does that? Why is that relevant here? I I think if we're going to create discourse in our classroom in which people are going and listening ideas of things, we have to be really. Conscious of the fact that they're going to be male students who are going to be like the ones who are like, I know the answer, or these are the ideas. And sometimes our female students are going to be less, you know, less willing to do that or more hesitant to do that. um, If we don't, you know, somehow foster an environment in the classroom where we're just like, look, it's okay to bring I- evidence-based ideas to this. It's okay for, you know, we're going to come and people are going to be right and people are going to be wrong and it's okay. Mm. It's okay. And we're, what we're trying to do is to come up with a basis for moving forward with, you know, unpacking this in some sort
0: of way in our classroom. Um yeah it was interesting as you were, <clears throat> as you were describing that I was wondering and and i I have thought about this for exactly thirty seconds so um, <laughs> so I make no claims that this is a deep thought um but it made me think about is part of what's going on there a shift uh, or is it built on the notion of how we define confidence so in other words uh maybe if we define confidence as the ability to be sort of self-reflective and not jump in and just go off half cocked with some idea that you have that you think is right. And you're going to then, you know, defend that half cocked idea. Um, If, if that's how we define confidence, then that might shift the way that even we think about, you know, what that study was trying to study. Um, But I think, you know, this, your point about um, what, what is this, what what is this likely to do in classrooms? Is it is going to impact these the these high level of confidence kids, which do, as you say, tend to be gender wise more, more male. Um, it is going to impact them in ways that are gonna make them uncomfortable, right? And and we've certainly seen that both both boys and girls, but I've seen it more with boys for sure Absolutely. in these classrooms where um Especially initially, they get very frustrated with this. Like, just I need to know the right answer because I want to be right. Like, I don't want to have this conversation where we don't know the answer and we're just talking about it. Like, that's just a waste of time. Like, you know, the answer, just tell me what the answer is so we can just get the answer. And I think that, um, you know, goes back to some of these ideas about. Pick, picking phenomenon, for example, picking phenomenon that are complex enough that um, they don't have simple answers, and so they can be talked about um, in classrooms in meaningful ways. Because if this is the problem with the the tasks that we typically give kids is, and physics is probably the worst example of this, is yeah, is we strip away all the complexity, right, and then we just make we make the questions not the questions that we ask, not really hard in the sense that they require thinking, but hard in the sense that they have a lot of little ticky tacky, um, complexity to them. Uh, uh, complication, let's call it that instead of complexity, it's complication. So, um, you have more things in the equation that are missing that you have to fill in or more parts of the, you know, more conversion of units that you have to deal yeah. with or whatever it is. So it's not a meaningful complexity. It's just complication to make the problem harder. Is that a scientific term, the ticky tacky? I I want. Yeah, to, it's definitely yeah, it's totally ticky ticky ricky ticky tabby. Was that a, That was a that was a mongoose, I think. I think caught, it might have been I, I way it, back. It, that, it kill, that killed cobras. I,
1: that yeah. absolutely just showed our age right there, or at least I, your age. I'm, yeah, my I'm age I, old, I, yeah. I yeah. yeah, right. Ricky, young, ricky, ticky, young, tabby. Yeah, yeah. We'll put that, that in the was, show
0: that, notes right after the uh, the uh, the um, all the youngsters
1: all the youngsters out there are, are googling ricky ticky tabby it's a little scary at least a, at least the eight-year-old ollie thought so yeah it's a little scary you know no,
0: man you can still you can still buy it on amazon ricky ticky tabby yeah you can yep. get it for 7.99 the story on, on vhs oh, oh look at this <laughs> a short story in the 1894 anthology the jungle book by rudyard kipling wow wow Wow. Yeah. Well, I think
1: uh, you, you read it and it's original, right? Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, Rudyard Kipling and I hung out together. So it was, uh, he, he, I got to read some of the early drafts of Ricky.
1: You, you guys sat around and drank absinthe together. Yeah. Right. Well, yes. Yeah, so we'd
0: pour it over the little sugar cubes into a glass and then we'd say, tell me a story about mongoose. And he would say, okay. Is that
1: the actual plural of mongoose? I don't know, mongo-
0: man. It just sounded right to me. <laughs> mongoose. Mongooses? it does sound
1: it does sound right
0: well it's like octopuses instead of octopi right i don't know yeah, i don't
1: yeah. know at all that, i octopuses. i was never really good at the plurals for yeah. animals especially like I, the 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 tough ones like pride you know i yeah. think it's not the plural oh, of, that no but that's uh, a grouping, family that's of, not the plural that's oh. like what
0: is a group like a murder of crows and a Ooh, yeah pride of lions and a yeah yeah, yeah that's uh, just yeah. I, Ticky tacky we, of monkeys.
1: I apologize. I was the one who set us off the rails there with yes. the tiki tacky. You did. said it. And I was like, ah, oh, look yeah, at that.
0: Tiki tacky. Ticky, ticky tacky.
1: Yeah.
0: All yeah. right. So can we bring this back before we get to joys? Do we have, uh, we have, we have some more points to make here. Well,
1: I, I guess the, the question that I have is, you know, how do we foster that in our classrooms? Yeah. I guess that's the challenge for me is, you know, swinging back to making this, you know, sort of practical and operational mm-hmm. is how do we do this in the class, and I think some of it is modeling. I think that's probably pretty critical yep. is that, you know, we have to um, whenever pe- people bring ideas to our classrooms you know, I think that we also have that same, you know, what's interesting is I, and this is again, like less than 30 seconds in my yeah, brain. So just two
0: or, um, two or four seconds,
1: two or four seconds. But I think about like, when you talk about those roles that Adam Grant talks about in terms of the, you know, the preacher or the prosecutor and all that, and then the scientist, mm-hmm. I wonder how often we as teachers take some of those sort of positions when students bring ideas or bring, sure. you know, questions to our classroom. And that we, I don't want to say attack, but we approach those questions from that same sort of aspect, right? Yeah, sure. And that what that does is that models the type of discourse that we want to have in the classroom and and that we, you know, are communicating something different than what we want to happen in our classroom.
0: Yeah, for and sure. So- I mean, if you think about like the prosecutor certainly is Really well aligned with the notion of a misconception, right? Which is to say that you're going to label the thing that a kid's thinking as wrong, that needs to be fixed or replaced, right? So not it's it's a deficit-based perspective. They all all these things line up, right? So so that's the prosecutorial version of teaching, which is to say I'm trying to find what their argument is and then tear it apart so that they will realize how bad it is, and um and then much more typically we're the preacher right which is we're just trying to convert people to our ideas um and you know i think and that's where like we have students who go i'm gonna put i know the right answer for the test but i don't believe
1: any of this
0: right you know that happens a lot
1: in physics it's like yeah i know the right answer is the balls hit the ground at the same time but i don't actually believe it right
0: you know yep and No, to to talk about podcasts again. There was a this American Life recently about not believing your eyes. And one of one of the stories within that was about the wildfires in paradise and people had been displaced from paradise down to Chico, California, and talking about families whose parents were the parents in the family were climate deniers and the kids were in these classrooms where they were learning about the increase in in carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and the changing you know the increases in average temperature over time and all this stuff um and the kids having to manage this like they're being told in school and to your point it's like their parents are literally telling them well to get the grade you just got to say what the teacher says but you don't have to believe it because it's not true because all that stuff is nonsense um so yeah that that POV is very much you know the preacher point of view, um, which is you're trying to convert them to your perspective. Um, so yeah, I think there are really close analogies, uh, if not outright identicalnesses between those <laughs> between those three. And so what we are saying is, not surprisingly what we want science teachers to be more like is more like scientists. We want be scientists, them to be scientists, <laughs> right? Write that on, put it, put a sticky note on your forehead and say, you know, be yeah. scientists, like ask questions, question your own understanding. Don't, don't be so confident in your own, um, in your own understanding of things because um, because you're not right. Cause there isn't Right. And right is not the way to think about it, because then you get into misconceptions and all that sort of stuff about how bad kids' ideas are, right? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think operationalizing it, the, the other thing I would say, there there are two things that are important. So one is task, right? So what tasks are you asking your students to do? If the tasks are simple and straightforward and have answers, easy answers, then those are bad tasks, whether those are projectile motion problems or whether those are procedural labs or whatever. So the first thing you have to do as a science teacher is select good tasks for your students to be engaged in. And then the second thing, which is what you were talking about, Ali, is, is modeling and specifically modeling the talk, right? Yep. If you talk like you know the answers, then that's how they're going to think science works. Um so that's that's not good, right? So so you have to model you you as the teacher um, do the most work in establishing the norms, the discourse norms in your classroom. How do kids talk to each other? How do they talk to you? How do you talk to them? So the way that you do that sets up is is your environment, you know, a church, a courtroom, a political rally, or is it a science classroom? And and you get to choose to a large extent which of those places you want your classroom to be and um and i think that's but it's hard because most most teachers and maybe not just most science teachers are either one of the first two they're either the the preacher or the prosecutor
1: yep yeah and i think you know i think we have to inter uh, embrace our inner Sesame Street, right? It's mm. it's the I think it's Elmo that says asking questions is a good way to find things out, there and you know. I think that's that's the I don't know the theme of the the show or one, another theme of the show is that yeah. questions are pretty darn important, and yeah. but I think modeling how that happens in our classrooms is the critical thing, and yeah. be less like the preacher and the prosecutor. What's the third one? The third P? The
0: politician. So that's the politician talking to only people that agree with you, which. I think teachers are probably less guilty of because right. only because kids know less about the stuff that we're that we're um, talking to them about. But, but yeah, I mean, I think this idea of like leading with curiosity, not judgment, like all of the, you know, we're we're saying the same things over and over again in different ways, right? And sure. I think everybody recognizes that. But that also means that there's some fundamental truth to them, right? That there is something at the base of this that says science is a process of making ideas about the world better. And that's our goal is to have kids have better ideas about the world. that are more robust, more productive, more explanatory, right? Um, not a bunch of ticky tacky facts that they memorize <laughs> or Ricky ticky tabby facts or any of not, those kind
1: of facts. None of those right. facts, none of those, no, 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 no ticky tacky.
0: No. That's a For that's a whole we could do a whole podcast on even what is a fact,
1: but we're not gonna do that today. Uh well put you a know. pin in that.
0: Yeah. Post truth. Uh,
1: wow. <sighs> oh. I, I think yeah, that just makes me a Are little
0: nervous. Uh, uh,
1: no, not nervous. Oh. Just but like I get a little bile in the back of my throat. Threw, threw up
0: in your mouth a little bit. <laughs> yes.
1: yeah. oh. Uh oh. Sorry. All right. Hopefully that let's let, let's let's yeah. quickly yeah. move to joy
0: yes <laughs> <laughs> quickly move away from that maybe a, a a tasty food-based joy do you have any tasty food-based joys because you often uh, have a tasty food-based joy
1: i i well i have two joys now as you think about cool. it but wh- one is that. tasty food tasty food and the other one is not tasty food so the oh, question okay. is do i go with the tasty food oh, i want uh, you to
0: choose i want you to choose the one that you i'm gonna go the with joyful. the
1: non-tasty food because oh, okay. i i did i did something bold recently I, um. I joined a community band.
0: Ollie Drayon, get Uh, out of town, get right out of town.
1: I joined, so I played the trumpet in high school and I still have it. Actually, I have two trumpets. I have like a really nice one that my son uses and like, sort of like the one that, you know, I was my starter trumpet. It's all beat to heck and everything. And, and, uh, you know, my son still plays and, you know, I was like, you know, I, you know, so I was, I was playing with him, you know, when he first started out, I really enjoyed mm-hmm. it. And I was like, you know, you know, next community over is, is started a band uh, with like, just some younger people and some older people who just want to get together and play their instruments. So we had our first practice recently now we're doing like Sousa marches we're doing like <laughs> all we're doing like well uh, I, we, we, it's all over the place we're doing uh beauty and the beast we're doing uh, pearl jam
0: and they'll program
1: yeah uh, i don't think that some people in this group would know who pro cuz the one <laughs> didn't know what Pirates of uh, the uh, Caribbean was oh he my. had to Goog, he had to google it and then he watched the movie and he's like have you ever seen this movie it's really good then the guy's like 80 i mean literally 80 and yeah. right. and so and and i'm i you know i i'm i came in i'm like you know what i haven't played in a while i'll play like second or third trumpet you know and
0: wait how many I, people are in this band you're you're playing second or third trumpet
1: there was well this you know this was like i think the second practice probably a good 15 people there last night and you know so it's like a brass
0: band is it brass well no 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 no
1: no no, we got we got clarinets we got a a piccolo we got a flute you know we have you know a bunch of saxophones one guy's bringing this bassoon next time because there's some bassoon parts he wants to bring in and it's like wow this is great and what was to me i I have to be completely honest i was so nervous because i haven't played my instrument in a group setting like that in 30 years in more than 30 years and um so i've been practicing by myself and there are lots of times that i had no idea where we were in the music at all (laughs) like and i'm like looking at the guy but that, you know what the thing was, is that the, these folks were just as, you know, I wouldn't say as, as lost as I was, but there were times where they were just like going, yeah, that just went to hell, yeah. you know, like that. Okay. That just went off the rails. Let's just, you know, and, but it was just fun, and it was just great to be able to pick up the instrument, make music with other people again, and and yeah, so it brought me a lot of joy. And I I had some nightmares about it ahead of time, like going like just going in and embarrassing myself, and they were gonna kick me out. But you know that was not the space at all. It was so great to be around people who were just inviting, and just there was a lot of laughter and yeah it was so cool and so we have i think like three or four shows that we're going to do this year so there's that all for the community like and you know, i think one's going to be a tree lighting thing later in the year and then one's going to be um for you know the holidays like during um like fourth of july and stuff that's where all the Sousa marches and stuff are going to be in mm-hmm. those things are hard i mean those i have to like they're up there you know they <laughs> i have to work on my range because i can you know i can hit some of the you know middle notes but the high notes are those are rough yeah, yeah.
0: Wow. So that's right. a joy. Yeah. Good on good on you. That's pretty well, awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... there are a lot of people out there I think who used to play instruments and who don't say, you know, I could go back and I I played the uh the cello and the bass. Uh the bass was the cooler of those two instruments sure. that I could transition a little bit into the rock bandy sort of bass. But again, that was, you know, 30 years ago or something, 35 years ago, but yeah.
1: But it's in there. Like, it, it's still in your brain hole. You just Somewhere. have to, like, yeah, I just have to get it out. And, you know, yeah. it was, like, there were lots of times I don't know the fingerings for, like, certain, like, notes. And I'm, like, yeah. writing them down. And, and I even, like, lean over to the one guy, the 80-year-old guy. Hey, what was, what, what's the fingering for this? I, I forget. And he's, like, what? <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I said, what is. The- <laughs> Oh. Uh, so that's the joy that's my and, joy. and
0: you're hanging with your elders which is nice. right
1: yeah well i came in and and the, the the one lady was organizing and she's like oh i thought you were gonna be younger <laughs> i go were you hoping i was gonna be younger <laughs> i mean uh, there's there are things
0: there are things i can work on but that's not one <laughs> no i can't, can't do anything about can't that get sorry younger. sorry friend sorry. I mean, i'd love to not that i'm opposed it's just you know (laughs) it's a tricky goal to (laughs) say tell me how to do that yeah exactly Uh, yeah all right well i'm trying to think i was trying to think about uh like things because i'm debating here too but but i'm gonna pick one so last night my um two two members of my family are out of town right now and myself and my one daughter are gonna join my wife and my other daughter um but last night it was just me and my daughter um, hanging out and we're like, Oh, maybe we can find something to watch. And we were just flipping through stuff. And I was like, have you ever seen the Punisher? And she's like, Oh no, I don't think I have. So we watched uh, three episodes of the Marvel television show, the Punisher um, and, and they you know, the Punisher as a concept slash construct has had some rocky times of, of recent uh yes. but that said i i think it is uh it is a really good show and i i'm i'm blanking now on the on the main character that, i mean i know his name his name is frank castle but i can't remember the actor john,
1: john Bernthal Bernthal.
0: okay i think it's right.
1: pretty close like yeah
0: okay but he's fantastic and the 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 um the show is just really good. And it's, it's uh, you know, I think it, it deals with um, some of the trauma of being a soldier in, in pretty authentically um, you know, almost tragic ways, uh, not almost in, and, but um, it's, it's just, a, I think it's a really good show. So it, it brought me joy to go back to that. I hadn't seen that because I think it came out in like 2017 or 2018. So it's been four or five years since that show came out. And um And I just love him as an actor. He was in baby driver and he was fantastic in that movie. Um, But yeah, so if you, if you haven't seen the Punisher, um, uh, Marvel, everybody, I mean, Marvel is, you know, we're we're living in a, in a uh, superhero universe seems like these days, but but uh, I really, I really enjoyed revisiting that show because I hadn't seen it in a long time.
1: John Bernthal.
0: Bernthal. John Bernthal. There you go. All right. Yeah. So he's, he's in great. The Wolf
1: of Wall Street and yeah. yeah, the Walking Dead and a few other things too. He's, he's, a, great he's actor. a fantastic
0: actor. But yeah, yeah, well, well used in this show. Um, and the, and the other supporting characters are really strong too um and it's it's linked up to daredevil in that whole universe in marvel the new york city sort of universe yeah. of of superheroes but anyway that's my joy for this week it's a good one it's a good one
1: so i'm gonna go off and practice my trumpet a little bit so okay um, and i'm gonna go good.
0: i'm gonna go watch more episodes of the punisher and uh
1: well, yeah we're, hey we're glad you're here
0: uh, yeah and thanks I'll for coming by we'll catch, catch you next time, time. Yeah, yeah in between
1: see you then. bye now